Well, good morning. Am I on? Okay, there we go. <laughs> thank you, thank you. I appreciate that because you're, you're not doing it because I'm a, a female Jewish rabbi. <laughs> um, <laughs> when Rabbi Esther uh, had to withdraw and we had to figure out who's going to take her place, it was a competition because um, Esther is a Jewish rabbi, but she's also Dutch. She's from the Netherlands. I grew up in Holland. My wife is Jewish, so in this case, the Dutchness. <laughs> the Dutchness won out as a stand-in for Esther. <laughs> yeah. So pray with me as I begin the message. God, uh, we ask that we would detect your presence here, um, that we would perceive more deeply how you come to us, and how it is that we bring your goodness into the world. Amen. So I do have, as a consolation prize, a gift for everybody. Okay? So you can take this. You each get one. Pass it through your group. Only one. No greediness. No hoarding. Now this may look small, trivial to you. But according to Jesus... I am giving you, this morning, the kingdom of God. So we'll see if we can make sense of that by the end of the message. <clears throat> We're going to go through a story this morning that comes to us from... Let's see. Oh, I need my script. <laughs> um... Well, I can just read it from... I don't know. I will read it with you. We're going to go through this morning a story that comes to us from the account of the life of Jesus that's attributed to Luke. Chapter 13, there will be multiple entry points for you and I into the story that, you know, where we can find ourselves in it. Multiple people... Multiple instructions, multiple ways in, okay? So, it begins like this, and we'll just go all the way through the story. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then, there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. You can go to the next slide. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. You can go to the next slide. But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? And ought not this woman... A daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, 
be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things being done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again, he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. So the story starts out as a pretty ordinary Sunday for Jesus. He's preaching a message in a synagogue, probably a small faith community, so from a text of some sort or other, when there's a disruption, there's an interruption, a disturbance. A woman comes in, and the writer makes it sound like she, she appeared. Like she appeared suddenly like she materialized in the room. It's probably more likely that she showed up late. She has an ailment, an affliction, that's a pretty obvious one that's quite uh, impairing. She's completely bent over, but it also describes her as being crippled. It's really, really hard for her to move. And so it wouldn't be surprising for her to be late, and when she appears, it would be noticeable. She's a known person in the community. We learn that she has been thus afflicted for 18 years. And so Jesus, when this disruption happens, instead of like being a little irritable or miffed, but going on anyways, or even kindly not drawing attention to her, he does something different. (laughs) He heads in the other direction. He stops his message, turns to her, and draws more attention to her. Would you please come forward, he says. So even before he has healed her, even before he has caused her to stand up straight, he is expanding her presence in the room. This woman who normally would probably remain hidden, suppressed, in the background, uncomfortable with attention. Her progress to him is going to be slow, right? It's going to take her a while to get there. And so even as she comes, right, He is having happen to her what he is going to do physically. When we have these stories of Jesus healing people from ailments, afflictions, things like that, the writers often make it clear that what's going on is physical, yes, but it's also symbolic. It symbolizes something spiritual, psychological, social. And thus will be the case for this woman. So she comes to Jesus. He says, I'm healing your ailment. He touches her, places his hands on her, he stands up straight. In one of the translations, it says uh, she stands up erect. So Jesus has just produced a divine erection. And again, it's physical. It's a real thing. She is liberated from a physical infirmity that has kept her in the background, that has kept her suppressed, that has limited her. It is also meant to be profoundly social for her. 
she will go in this moment from somebody hidden in the background, from somebody suppressed, from somebody embarrassed, from somebody silenced, to somebody who <laughs> becomes a person of interest with a voice and a story to tell. Right? This would have been a person <clears throat> with physical ailments in the time of Jesus like this. The trouble was often attributed to some sort of badness within the person, sinfulness on the part of yourself, your parents, relatives, who knows what. So all of a sudden, she's liberated. All of a sudden, she's standing up straight. All of a sudden, she has dignity, voice, presence. So now, for example, when you bring the relatives to church, instead of skirting them around this woman who is crippled and bent over, you're going to bring them to her. Tell them your story. Tell your story to my friends, to my relatives. She will go from a standing that's multiply determined both by her ailment, but also by her gender. Again, a place of suppression, of quietness, of being in the background, to somebody who is front and center, who is dignified, who has become a fully fleshed person in the room. Well, so that's a cause of celebration. She's whooping it up. Oh, she's singing praises to God. <laughs> But then, then enter the villain, okay? Ooh. So here are a couple of places to enter into the story. The first is if you identify with this woman. If you, in the way that you live life, feel in any way bent over, if there is something that causes you to want to stay in the background, to hide you, to suppress you, to suppress your voice, where you would wish, oh, if I could be relieved of that if I could enter into full personhood in my family, my community, my workplace, wherever it might be, my faith community, oh, would Jesus do that for me? Here's a second place. <laughs> if you believe in villains. So this guy's an obvious villain, right? You listen to his accusation, and it's really interesting. He's obviously enraged at Jesus. Jesus is the one who's causing the trouble in the synagogue on this morning. But he directs his venom towards his congregation. Right? He berates the woman and those like her. And his accusation is like nonsense. Right? There are six days in which you can come and get healed. Do it on that. She's been ill for 18 years. Right? Whatever he thinks might happen on the other six days has not worked for her. And she probably also didn't come this Sabbath day wanting healing. I don't think she anticipated that this would be the outcome of her late arrival. But nonetheless, it says he keeps saying things. So he's walking around muttering, mad at everybody, mad at what's happened and expressing it. And so he's the bad guy, right? He's the villain. But I'm just going to say, in my own life, when I have come to a moment where I have identified the villain, the one who is causing all the trouble, who we can all agree is bad, who we can all vilify, it's an indicator that I need to take a step back, right? Because in my life, the villains often turn out to actually be heroic. I'm just wrongly vilifying them. 
And usually, too, if I look a little bit deeper at one who I am vilifying, I find myself. And so with this guy, he is the administrator of a system. And he is interacting, he is experiencing a situation where someone in the system that he administrates has made a sudden transformation into a new state of being that is not okay, and it has happened in a way that's wrong. Right? So all of us inhabit systems where transformations of personhood occur, transformations of identity, of status, of role. But all the systems, whether it's family system, school system, work system, culture system, ethnic system, gender system, we tightly regulate those transformations. There are only certain kinds that are okay, and they have to happen according to the rules. They have to happen according to protocol. We're in the season of graduation right now, right? Where people are transitioning from not completing education to having completed it, from not graduating to graduating. Getting through that is hard. You have to go through years of education in a very regimented fashion. You have to demonstrate that you qualify for the transition and then when it happens, there's a big ceremony, right? A formal way of doing it, of saying, we validate this transition. And that happens all over the place. Coming into a family that you are not a part of. Transitioning from childhood to adulthood. From single to married. From married to single. Getting into a religious institution. <laughs> we make it really hard for that to occur. And there are some kinds of transitions that just are not okay, right? Transitioning from one gender to another, from one gender identity to another. And so here is a woman who has been suppressed, whose role is pretty clearly declared, and in a moment she makes a transition from not person to person, from silent to voiced, from hidden to prominent, from unimportant to important, and she does it completely outside the rules, <clears throat> right? There is no way that what's happened to her through how Jesus did it can be taken over by the institution. It cannot be made into a program, a, a, a set of rules, a schedule, and she, in that place, will forever after be a reminder of that. <clears throat> that in this place, <laughs> we don't have to obey the rules. We can go from one state to another just whoosh in a day. And when you tell us that it has to happen this way, we can look at her and say, no, it doesn't. It can happen that way. It can happen some other way. And so I feel then the anxiety of this guy, because you and I, we live on all sides of this, right? We're often the recipients of this kind of resistance to transition, to transformation, to these kinds of things. We feel the anxiety of if we have any responsibility in a system for running that system, that things have to go according to protocol, right? Or, or everything's up for grabs. So when this villain... <clears throat> starts muttering, I think he's doing more than just trying to cast aspersions on her, just, just some uh, 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 like technical 
When can this kind of thing happen? I think he is trying to undo the good that's come to her for the sake of the system. Now, he can't actually cause her to become bent over again, right? This would be one approach, just to take it away. This would be, for example, the Jim Crow South, where a whole group of people went from being slaves to free, and the establishment said, no, that's not okay, and so they reinstituted slavery, right? That's one way to fix this kind of problem. I think what this guy is trying to do instead is to besmirch it. So what he is trying to do is attach badness to what she did. She broke the rules. This isn't how this kind of transformation is supposed to happen, so that henceforth her stature, the good gift of God that's coming to her, will be diminished, will be a sign of having done it wrong, so that nobody will do it that way again, so that it will yet again become impermissible. And this is where Jesus steps in, where Jesus says, no, we are not going to allow that to happen. The goodness of God has come to her. It needs to continue to be a sign of goodness. And so Jesus kind of using his active bystander training, right? He jumps into the fray in front of her as accusations are coming her way. And Jesus protects her dignity, her personhood. You treat animals. You liberate your animals on the Sabbath. This woman is a daughter of of Abraham. She's just like you. She is of you, of a kind with you. Ought she not be liberated on the Sabbath? <laughs> and the people give it the big thumbs up, right? <clears throat> you feel, and the writer makes it clear, something is happening in the room. All those who are opposed to Jesus are humiliated and all those who support him, and my guess is that this is an expanding group, they're all, woo, that was awesome. You are great, Jesus. We're in with you. And it's a moment. He has a crowd rising up behind him in favor of him, excited, jazzed, which gives him pause. Right? <laughs> so there's this interesting transition. Jesus says, if you could put up um, the last slide. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? So he's obviously actually wrestling internally with this question. He asks it twice, and he asks it of himself. Now, the people in the room would have been able to give an easy answer. Well, the kingdom of God is this. You, Jesus, do a powerful thing, a God thing, a miracle thing, that really helps us out. We get excited. There's opposition to it, but you squash and humiliate the opposition, and then we go forward together, right? It is the formation of a mob. That is what the kingdom of God is like with Jesus at the lead. We're excited about you. You're awesome and amazing. You do God things. And because you do God things that are good for us, we check our brains at the door and just follow you out and do your bidding. That's what the kingdom of God is like. <laughs> 
And, and so Jesus, again, takes a step back. Because Jesus is unrelentingly suspicious of the mob, of a crowd. It always makes him uneasy. He does not trust how a crowd works, how a mob works. Again and again and again, he is pulling back from that. He is pulling back from the voraciousness of a mindless, impassioned group of people. It is not what he wants. And so he says this amazing thing. Put that up again. What is the kingdom of God like, and to what should I compare it? (laughs) So you're feeling the room, right? And then Jesus says, it is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And he said again, and again he said, so the first one isn't enough, but he needs another one. To what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. So what I note, first of all, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is not about me. The kingdom of God is not about me doing awesome things. The kingdom of God is you. It is each one of you, the people in the room. Ordinary you. The kingdom of God is not the Son of God doing something that takes over. The kingdom of God is you. And then the kingdom of God is you doing with intention a simple thing, like taking a small thing and putting it in a good place, taking a a mustard seed, what I've just given you this morning, right? So the kingdom of God is you doing something that you are fully capable of doing. Like, this is not hard work. It's not a high-level task. A simple thing, putting it in a simple place, and then you walk away, right? Then the thing that you have done takes on a life of its own, and the, the thing that is easily missed in these images is the expansiveness of the response. So a mustard seed typically produces a bush. In this case, it's a tree. And when it says three measures of flour, I've always thought, Oh, someone, you know, a woman making a loaf of bread. But (laughs) a measure is a specific term. It's an ephah. An ephah is like over 150 cups of flour. So she's working with 500 cups of flour. So what Jesus is saying is you do this small thing with intentionality. You plant it in a simple place as a part of the course of everyday life. And it produces this dramatic response. And the last thing that's interesting that I find about these is that the effect is completely generous and unselective, right? In my model of the kingdom of God, the followers of Jesus win and the foes, the enemies, the opposition loses, is crushed. But this mustard seed produces a tree (laughs) that the birds of the air made nests. It's completely unselective. 
Like, it is for any bird that's tired or any bird that needs a nest. And it's just like, here's a big tree for you. And the yeast, the, the yeast works its way into 500 cups of flour. This is a completely anti-us-against-them message of what the kingdom is and how the kingdom works. It's just you and I going through our day, doing with intentionality little things that over time produce dramatic responses. And I've even come to wonder if Jesus is actually referring to or reinterpreting how what's going on in this room works, right? Because it can seem like, well, this is completely unrelated to what went on in the room. It's just different. But if you think about it, so this woman has an ailment. Probably every person in the room had an ailment, right? And she's the one who gets healed. They're all going to continue to suffer. What Jesus did in this room on this day is not going to fix systemic problems. It's not going to win. And so I think even in the mind of Jesus, he's saying, listen, I did this for this woman. It is not how things get fixed. What happens instead is that you understand its meaning. You talk about it the next day. You realize how it's transformed her social status. You have an expanded vision for how transformation works, what kinds of transformations can happen and through whom they can happen and the mechanisms and all of that. It does what we're doing with it this morning, all these years later, right? Her healing does not help us, but the meaning of it does. And so I think about that for us. So many moments, I'll share one moment. We were in a Bible study recently and there was a person um, who got, <laughs> he got activated on behalf of Jesus in the room. And it's a small group of us, right? It's just like 13 of us sitting in a room, listening to somebody talk, discussing God, Jesus, the Bible. And this person in the room gets activated. He's normally pretty quiet. But in this moment, he was impassioned on behalf of the meaningfulness of the love of Jesus. And he just said it in a powerful way, in an incisive way that was, made us all listen. Because he's usually quiet, and all of a sudden he wasn't. And, <laughs> um, and it felt like, when I was thinking about this, it felt like, oh, that was a seed moment. We're just gathered after dinner talking about something, and here's a person who drops a little bit of goodness into the mix of us. And I was aware, we'll remember that. We'll remember what he said. It will come back to us at certain times. We will interpret it. We will keep making meaning of it. And I feel like Leah has been visiting with us. We've done a lot of remembering. So many moments in the past that I think are these kinds of things that Jesus is describing, where we did little goodnesses for each other with intentionality, that are alive 10, 15 years later, that have transformed our understanding of how things work and what goodness looks like. So my invitation, the band can come forward and we can get ready for worship. I just want to take a moment to settle into this reality, this way of perceiving the kingdom of God coming. There could be a lot of places you could find yourself in this story. The restoration of the bent-overness, into straightness for this woman, your own receiving seeds like this, giving seeds like this. So just pray with me for a moment. God, I pray that you would help us to understand and see where this could be the case with us. 
that it's an invitation you give to each one of us that we can really be sowers of these seeds, workers of yeast in who we are, into our everyday reality. And that you can take that and make something expansive from it. So help us see in this moment the possibility for that kind of thing in our lives. Amen.